Prepping Podcast. We're helping everyday people become prepared for whatever emergencies come our way. Where gear is good, but knowledge is better because the more you know, the less you have to carry. We're your hosts, Mark and Krista Lawley. Well, hello and welcome to the podcast. This is episode number 162 of Practical Prepping Podcast. We're certainly glad that you're here with us today. This particular episode is sponsored by our first book, Making Contact During Emergencies. It's a unique little emergency communications book, and there have been many, many books written on MCOM or emergency communications, personal communications plans, communications for preppers, long-term backup, power supplies, building radio systems, all sorts of things. But this book is different. It's about getting help when you need it. It's written for hikers, hunters, boaters, outdoor enthusiasts, and anyone who wants to be prepared to communicate or to get help during an emergency. It covers a lot of what we're talking about today, which is the various radio services available to preppers. These are not necessarily designed for preppers or for prepping, but they do work very well for that. This book goes into a lot of those services as well as additional ways to communicate, including audio signaling, visual signaling, using satellite telephones, talks a little bit about programming the various HTs or handy talkies or walkie talkies, talks about building temporary antennas to improve your performance out in the outdoors. It talks about various mobile radios. It even has a list of a number of the inexpensive radios that are very, very common in prepping today. And it discusses a lot of the various aspects of those And it also gives you a lot of frequencies in here as far as the frequencies that you might need to use after a SHTF or during a distress situation. And it was actually written to some degree with a hiker in mind. And I've read stories over the years of hikers coming in contact with someone on the trail who was injured. Now, how do you get help? If you've got a satellite phone, that's great, as long as you can see the sky. But I don't know a lot of hikers that carry satellite phones. I'm sure there are some. But this book does give you options of how you can make contact during emergencies. And that is the title, Making Contact During Emergencies. And you can find that linked off of our website or in the show notes. That's the first book that Krista and I wrote. It's not a large book. It's not expensive. And we hope that it finds usefulness to someone who might want to prepare to be able to make contact during emergencies. Well, let's get on to our podcast tonight. And first, when we're talking about radio services, understand that two-way radio communications are not private. Anyone with a corresponding receiver can hear your transmissions. Generally, these transmissions are not encrypted, 
And codes, as far as obscuring the meaning, is not allowed on some of these, but it would be easy enough to be able to cover locations and places that you needed to make reference to. But we're talking particularly about the radio service here tonight, and the granddaddy of all radio communication systems is amateur radio service. That's ham radio. It may be the absolute best radio service for disaster or for SHTF communications. And one of the reasons, and it's used in disaster relief for this very reason, is that it is so versatile. One, it works when nothing else works. When the cell towers are down, ham radio still works. Sure, the repeater may be down, but you still have simplex, and ham radio operators learn how to work around not having that repeater, either by seeking points of elevation, by putting up temporary antennas, or even by relaying from one operator to the other. But the versatility, one, you've got voice. Yes, you have voice communication. Then you've got digital modes. You've got all kinds of digital modes. You can send packet. You can send photographs. You can send email. You can receive photographs. You can do slow scan television. You can do what we call CW. It's Morse code. It's continuous wave. And yes, CW is alive and well on ham radio. A ham radio operator can also use it to control remote control devices. So that gives them a lot more distance that they're able to use their remote control device than with the controller that comes with it. Now, ham radio does require an individual license, and that license requires a test, and that testing fee is around $15. Folks, it's not hard. It's really not hard. There are three levels of license available today. There are actually five levels in existence. The novice and the advanced, if you have it, you can keep it, but you cannot get it today. I hope that makes sense. The tech, the general, and the extra are available today. The tech is really not hard. When Krista took her test, I think it was a nine-year-old girl that was testing with her, and she passed. just takes a little bit of study. One of my grandsons is studying for his test right now. If you pass the tech, you can attempt the general on the same day for no extra cost. In other words, when you pass a test, you can try the next one above it. So if you take tech you can and pass that, you can take general. If you take general, pass that, you can attempt the extra. Now that extra is a little bit of a butt kicker. I'll just be honest with you on that. You better go in there prepared for that one. It's a lot of theory, but tech is very, very little theory as far as things that are hard to comprehend but it does give you a good basis for the safety involved in amateur radio. And one of the reasons is, is that amateur radio operators are the only ones that are allowed to build our own equipment and operate that on the air. So obviously there needs to be a good understanding of the safety issues. In ham radio, you'll find VHF and UHF, which is very high frequency and ultra high frequency. Those are used for short range, and they're usually local. 
but now repeater use is allowed and some repeaters will have a footprint of over 50 miles so if you're on one end of its coverage you would be able to talk to the other end of its coverage so about a hundred mile range is what you would be able to talk with on a repeater and that would be you're not going to do that probably with a five watt handheld radio but you can probably do that very, very easily with a mobile radio and even a magnetic antenna. Just keep in mind that short range does not necessarily mean you can't talk some distance. You also have Echolink, which uses a repeater connected to the internet, and you can talk around the world with that, and you are talking to other ham radio operators. There are many ham radio repeaters available, and some of them are on top of some very, very large mountains. And one of the advantages of using repeaters is height and power, where most of the average mobile radio is going to be capable of about 50 watts. That repeater is going to be transmitting at 100 to 200 watts, so it's going to give you a lot of distance out of that, and the additional height really does add to that. And the thing that most people think about when they think about ham radio is HF, high frequency. And this is capable of worldwide communications, and up to 1,500 watts can be legally used on some of those bands. So it's a great, great tool for disaster relief or for SHTF communications. If you would like more information on that, go to ARRL.org. That's the American Radio Relay League.org. And there's more information than you care to dig through on there. Now let's talk about the Family Radio Service, or FRS. This is a two-way short-distance communication service, and it was authorized by the FCC in 1996 and it's 22 channelized frequencies in the 462 megahertz to 467 megahertz range, and there's no license required. Now, these are the family and group usage, and it can be used for personal or business usage. These are what a lot of people refer to as regular walkie-talkies. You can buy these in the blister packs and all types of box stores, sporting goods stores, and they're they're good radios, but they do have some limitations. One of the limitations by regulation is that it cannot have a replaceable antenna. So you cannot upgrade that antenna, and usually you'll see these to be about a two or three inch antenna, but you cannot replace that antenna with an upgrade. There are also some power limitations on FRS. In channels 1 through 7 and 15 through 22, you can only use up to 2 watts. And wattage means mileage when we're talking about transmitting. But channels 8 through 14, you've got a maximum of a half watt. So if you weren't aware of this and you're using FRS radios, family radio service, either for your family or your group, you may want to get away from channel 8 through 14 so that 
you can use additional power. And your radio will be programmed to use the power that is available to it. When it comes to prepping, channel 3 is often thought of as the FRS prepper frequency. And that's 462.6125 on FM. You can look up FRS on prepping and you can get some more information on that. Now step up from there, but still in the short range radio, short range distance, is the General Mobile Radio Service, GMRS. Now this is 30 channelized frequencies, and it too runs in that 462 to 467 megahertz, but they are stacked in between each other, the GMRS and the FRS. If you put your hands out and stick your fingers out and slide your hands together where one finger slides between two others, that's the way these frequencies stack up in there are the channels for the FRS and the GMRS. Now the bad news is, is that GMRS legally requires a license. But there's no test involved, and it's good for 10 years. Anybody 18 or older can apply, but that one license will apply to your entire family or whatever group, and any age can operate that radio. They're a step up from the FRS, and we'll talk about some of the pros for this radio. One, more power is allowed than FRS or MURS, the Mutual User Radio Service. Remember, we had two watts max on the FRS. Well, on GMRS, you can use up to 50 watts. And you can have a replaceable antenna or an external antenna. So you can have a mobile radio mounted with 50 watts and use a mobile antenna or a magnetic antenna. You can put up a base antenna at home and you can upgrade your handheld antennas. And I like either the Nagoya or the Diamond and both of those greatly improve the use of this radio, but it also allows repeater use. Now, to understand repeaters and to put it in the simplest form that I can, a repeater uses two frequencies. There's an input and an output, and it listens on one and retransmits on the other simultaneously. Let's just use A and B. Let's say the input frequency on the repeater is A and the output is B. Then the input on your handheld is going to be B and your output is going to be A. So your radio is listening for handheld's transmitting frequency and your handheld is listening for the repeater's transmitting frequency. Is that clear as mud? It's really not that difficult to operate or to program these radios. You just have to understand that there's an input and an output. And when you've got both of those right, you can access that repeater. Now, these radios, the GMRS, are often the band that are used by the radios that are purchased in the big box stores. You go to the hunting store, you see the radios that are advertised as 26-mile radios. 
Well, your distance on simplex on these radios, like the FRS, is a maximum of about two miles. Now, if you're going to get 26 miles, you're going to have to be in the ocean, on your sailboat, climbed up the top of the mast, and talking to somebody 26 miles away who's on his sailboat, climbed up the mast, and talking from up there. Their line of sight. And there's a lot of reasons why you can't get that out here in the real world. But they are good for that which they are designed, and that is family or group short-range communications. We use them car-to-car when we travel. That lets our younger children be able to talk on it. We've got several ham radio operators in the family, but we don't have an operator in every vehicle to be able to use the ham radio. So it's a great short-range communications service. And I want you to think about this. This would be great for neighborhood disasters. If everybody on your block, everybody in your neighborhood had a GMRS radio, even one of the blister pack from the big box store, and you're able to coordinate with everyone that if something happens, we're all going to go to this channel. And you can check in on each other. You can call for help. That would be a tremendous asset for a community or a neighborhood in the event of disasters. Now, preppers have claimed a channel on this one as well. And after SHTF, preppers plan to be on channel 20. Now, let's talk about the Mutual Use Radio Service, M-U-R-S. And on this particular service, it's five channelized frequencies running from 151 to 154 megahertz on VHF. Now, sometimes these are called itinerant frequencies, and they're used by construction crews. Uh, You can use mobile or handheld radios, but you are sharing the use of these frequencies with other people. Nobody can claim one channel and say, this is ours, you get off of it. They are shared use. It's mutual use. And this 151 to 154 is what most of the law enforcement departments that have not gone digital or not gone to the 800 megahertz are operating in. And the last department that I was employed by used frequencies right around this 151 to 154. In fact, I believe it was 155. Now, there's no license required on this. There's no age limit to operate, but it does limit power output to 2 watts. And again, this 2 watts is good for 1 to 2 miles, so keep that in mind. But you can change antennas. You can use an external antenna, and you can get as much as 10 miles out of it. Now, we were traveling with these one time, and there were four vehicles, I believe, and we had seven-mile coverage from the front vehicle to the rear vehicle, so we were able to check when we needed the rest areas and wanted to get fuel or anything like that. So it's a pretty good radio system to use, especially since you can change the antennas, and preppers plan to be on channel three after an SHTF. 
Now, our next radio service was at one time the largest radio service ever authorized by the FCC in the United States, and that is Citizen Band Radio. It peaked in popularity in the late 1970s, and I was one of the ones that was involved in it in the early 70s. I was involved in it at a point when people walked up, they didn't know what it was, and they just saw a radio with a microphone. They asked if you could talk to the police on it. That's how far I go back with that. But it's still a popular radio today with many people. There's no license required on it. You can use it for personal or business use. And it's intended to be used for short-range communications. Now, let's talk about a little bit of the things that have been the legality of this. When it came out and still is legally limited to 4 watts output, Back when I was a kid, in my teens, we had base radios and we had mobile radios, and one guy had a couple of handhelds, but the CB is actually what the old walkie-talkies from when we were kids were on, and they were on channel 14, but you can put up large antennas, you can put up towers, you can put up beams. Now, the legal distance, at least at that time, the legal distance was 25 miles. As citizen band operators, we were allowed to talk up to 25 miles. Now, let's just go back and look at what wattage means. And and that wattage with 4 watts and a standard antenna, you're really talking 8 to 10 miles normally. With a base antenna, generally 20-25 miles for most people. Now, there's some folks that extend that with a base antenna, and I really don't know what kind of wattage they're running, but they're getting 60 and 70 miles on a consistent basis. The CB is now 40 channels. It was 23 when I first became familiar with it. You can operate on AM or on single sideband. And this is the service that's been used for so many years by the truckers and you could get all kinds of traffic information weather updates on the cb radio and in the late 70s early 80s so many people had a cb in the car and they would not only keep up with traffic and weather but they also found out where the police were hidden it served a purpose and still does now before cb was set aside in 1945 Actually, it was carved out of the ham radio 11-meter band at that particular time, and a license was required when it came out up until the early 80s. And it started out as a $20 license, and I think it was good for five years, and you got a call sign. Mine was KGM8729. I said that so many times, I still remember it. And the thing about the call signs is that it was largely ignored and people rarely identified by their call signs. Operators really referred to each other by handles. And there's all kinds of things that people can come up with to be called by. But it began to take on a life of its own. And the FCC finally gave up on licensing and controlling the band, and they just let it go. 
Now, part of the problem with CB radio today, and be aware of this if you're going to use it riding on the roads with your kids, there can be a lot of vulgarity on there and trash mouth, so just be careful with that. I would not ride with my grandkids in the vehicle and listen to CB radio. Now, a while ago, I mentioned that four-watt legal limit. There are those folks who will run as much as 1,500 watts on their CB radio, and some of those are in vehicles. I know there used to be a man that I'd be at the police department, and he'd come by talking on the radio, and I could hear him on our computers. That is illegal, interfering with anybody else. But a lot of these folks, this particular guy didn't care that he was blowing everybody's computer speakers up. He just wanted to talk like he wanted to talk. Out there today, there are those that will do that. And to do that, they'll run 1,500 to 2,000 watts. And the FCC is really not monitoring that or trying to control it anymore. So I see where they're coming from. Being an HF frequency, being a high frequency, being in the 11 meter bands, the signals will bounce off the ionosphere when the conditions are right, and that's called skip. And I know, and I know that I said that it was we were not supposed to talk more than 25 miles, but I talked from Alabama to Texas on CB radio on 50 watts back in the 70s. And I later found out that it was doing exactly the same thing that ham radio is doing. Doesn't matter what service it's in. If it's an HF band, there are times that it will bounce off of the ionosphere, and you can talk great distances that with that. So when the conditions are right, you may be able to talk over 500 miles, but it's not reliable for long-distance communications. And by reliable, I mean you can't guarantee that you can find contact on that particular frequency on a given day. And that has to do with the changing atmosphere and the ionosphere. When 11 meters is open, it's awesome. It's kind of like 10 meters on ham radio. When 10 meters is open, you can talk around the world with it with 100 watts. Not a bit of problem with that. When I was researching some of this, because it's been so long since I've been out, I read about some people communicating regularly in the 50 to 200 mile range. So even though it's not a reliable band for long-distance communications, it's still a good tool to have in our toolbox. It's still great for local communications. It's not that expensive to get into, and anyone can learn to operate it. Now let's talk about our final service that we're going to talk about tonight, and that is the VHF Maritime Radio Service. Channel 16 is recognized worldwide as the Distress, Safety, and Calling channel in the VHF Maritime Radio Service. That frequency is 156.800. And you may want to make note of that if you live anywhere near a navigable waterway, and I'll explain that in a minute. The U.S. Coast Guard constantly monitors Channel 16. This is where people, a boat's in distress, they go to Channel 16, they can call the U.S. Coast Guard. Coast Guard stations up and down navigable waterways monitor this. 
anywhere down on the coast. They're monitoring for even offshore. And every boat that's equipped with a maritime radio is required to keep a watch on channel 16 when the radio's not being used on another channel. I said it was the calling frequency or the calling channel. One boat can go to channel 16, call another boat, make contact, and then they can move off to another channel to do their business or to talk or chit-chat, plan their rendezvous, whatever. And then when they finish out there, they go back to channel 16 so that they can listen. Now, here's why I say if you live anywhere near a navigable waterway, you might want to put that 156.800 in there because if you're in trouble anywhere near that waterway, you might be able to get a boat passing by that could make a phone call to get authorities or get public service or get first aid, whatever, to come to you. So it's just a good operation, and I have it programmed into several of my radios. I've never used it. But I do enjoy listening. If I'm near the coast, I do enjoy listening to it. But the marine prepper frequency, supposedly, as I understand, it's going to be 156.625. Now, if you see a pattern here, it seems like all of the services have something planned where ham radio or CBers or FRS folks will congregate after an SHTF. And I didn't mention it a while ago, but in the amateur radio service, ham radio, it's going to be the national calling frequencies on whatever band that's on. And for the handheld or the mobile, the two meter, that's going to be 146.520. I hope you picked up a little bit here tonight. I hope this has piqued your interest. I hope it's given you just a little bit of understanding what's different between the radio services and my, why you might want to choose one over the other. So my choices in this order would be ham radio, and then it would be GMRS, and then it would be MURS. That would be my top three and in that order. Hope you've picked up something. Uh, we do have the book available on, on Amazon. It's Making Contact During Emergencies. And it goes into various types of information, how to talk on the radio, the types of things that you need to do and not do to be understood. And I will say this because I can hear a couple of you saying, I don't need no stinking license because in SHTF, you don't have to have a license. So I can hear somebody saying that right now. I hear it quite regularly. Well, it is true. You won't have to have a license after a full-blown grid down into the world as we know it type SHTF. But here's the problem. That's not the time to be learning to operate a ham radio. So for 15 bucks and just a little bit of an investment in a radio, you can get a license and you can operate it and you can get it programmed and you can learn and then you will be better able to operate afterward. But this is a true statement and I'll leave you with this. Any person can transmit on any frequency 
and this is by regulation, in a life-threatening emergency. So you do not have to have a license to use that radio to call someone to get help in a life-threatening situation. And I've actually had that happen one time. I went took a friend of mine hunting, and it was very cold. I think the high for the day was like 20. And we started to leave the camper, and there was a ham radio handheld sitting there. And I said, Jerry, put this in your bag, and you turn it on here. You push here to talk. You let up to listen. So just have it in your bag and call me if you need me. Well, we'd been in the woods about an hour, and he called me on the radio, and he said, you're going to have to come get me. My tree stand broke, and he fell about 20 feet, and he broke his back. And his doctor told me later, if I had not gotten him out of the woods, because I wasn't going back to pick him back up until after dark, and so you can imagine what the temperature would have been then. And the doctor told us that if we had not gotten him out of the woods at that particular point in time, that he probably would not have made it. So ham radio saved a life that day, and he legally talked on a ham radio without a license simply because it was a life-threatening emergency. We certainly appreciate you being with us, and we'll see you tomorrow. We would appreciate it if you would consider supporting our podcast by buying us a cup of coffee. You can do that by going to www.buymeacoffee.com slash Practical Prep. You can reach us on Facebook at Practical Prepping. You can email us at info at practicalprepping.info. And our website is practicalprepping.info. And remember, stuff happens. Stay prepared.